So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. For he, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. It's actually Brother Klaus's uh, birthday today. Happy birthday, Klaus. All right. Let's bow our heads and pray. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace already throughout this service. The grace of hearing your words, of singing, of praying, of, of seeing people exercise faith in joining the church of the fellowship of, of your people just you've blessed us already and now we're asking because we believe you're that generous to bless us again bless us through your word as you promised you would do if we would just unstop our ears and humble our hearts and come before you and we want to do that give us your spirit to help us to do that Speak to us, change us, show us your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we start the new year, uh, we're going back to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, back to almost the very, very start of the story of redemption. Today, we are starting a new sermon series on the life of of Jacob. Jacob, that's the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. He was clearly an important figure in Scripture, one of the three patriarchs of the Bible, 
a father of the faith. And you may know that God himself, in the pages of the Bible, even identifies himself personally with Jacob. In Exodus, when he introduces himself to Moses, he says, I, who am I? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Personally identifies with this man. Jacob sought after God, wrestled with God. Jacob loved God. But there was also more to Jacob than just that. One scholar wrote a book about Jacob's life, and he entitled it, God's Rascal. Because that's exactly what he was, a rascal. But actually, I would propose that he's being a little soft on Jacob, maybe too charitable. Because oftentimes, to put it bluntly, Jacob was a jerk. Deeply flawed man, a schemer, a manipulator always trying to get ahead, looking out for himself only, even if it meant trampling over other people, even his own twin brother. And in fact, it's Jacob's flaws that we find so candidly conveyed to us in the pages of this story. It's that that makes the life of Jacob so powerful to read. You see, because Jacob's story is a story about God's amazing grace, his favor towards crooked sinners like Jacob, like you and me. His story is a story about God's ability to change stubborn, selfish people like Jacob, whose life was changed, in fact, later, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel to mark that transformation. God can change stubborn, selfish people just like you and me. It's a story of God's surprising choice to use weak and wayward people like Jacob to carry out even his worldwide purposes even as he chooses us to be instruments in his name. Pastor and author Chad Bird writes this, Jacob's story is a story of a God who doesn't select the sainted or pick the pious, but who regularly pans for gold in the sewers of this world. And even there, he doesn't find gold, but plain old stink-covered rocks that he washes, polishes, and guilds with grace. Such is Jacob, such am I, and such are you. So this is an invitation then, to read this story, but to understand it as a story about ourselves. And the story of the life of Jacob begins here in Genesis 25. As we're told in the opening verses of our passage, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. And the backdrop to his birth was a mixture of promise and pain. Promise because Jacob's birth was, was actually eagerly anticipated. Years earlier, God promised his grandfather, Abraham, that he planned to bless the whole world through Abraham's family, through his descendants. And so from one generation to the next, 
Jacob and his birth was part of the continuing fulfillment of the promise of God. Promise, but also pain, heartache. Because you might have noticed, the story opens with Jacob and Rebekah's struggle with infertility. Some of you know this pain too well. And I'm so sorry. It's real, present, personal. For Isaac and Rebekah, in fact, it went on for 20 years. We're told Jacob got married at 40 and then the kids were born at 60. And for 20 years, according to verse 21, Isaac prayed and prayed and prayed. Whether this is your struggle or maybe it's something else, I just want to briefly ask, when you hit a dead end, when you face a problem that you can't solve up here or out here, when you feel like your hopes and dreams are being crushed before your very eyes, what do you do? Where do you turn? Isaac prayed, turned to God. Maybe he sang something like the song we sang earlier, Lord, hear my cry. See, the point isn't that God always answers our prayers exactly how we want him to and when we want him to. The important takeaway, rather, is that struggles like infertility and other struggles are wonderfully painfully but openly named in the Bible, which tells us that God sees you. God doesn't minimize that struggle. He sees your tears in the quiet moments at night. He feels your weeping, your heartache. Do you know, sister, brother, you are not alone. You are not alone. God is present with you in all of it. In due time, Jacob was born. God provided. And he also had a twin brother named Esau. Esau, a name that means hairy. Because according to verse 25, when Esau was born, his whole body was like a hairy garment. I heard some snickering when that part was read. I heard some snickering up here, right? I mean, imagine that being your defining characteristic as a baby or as a person, right? I mean, your friend's parents, when they were born, right, the, the, the birth announcement was like, you know, seven and a half pounds, 20 inches, you know, looks just like their mom. But your birth announcement, they're like, I don't know, Harry, right? I mean, that's it. That's your identity almost in the family. Well, Harry Esau was the older of the two, just by a few minutes, we're told, apparently, because when Jacob was born, according to verse 26, he was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. We'll hear more about that later. Hanging on to his brother, making sure he's not being left behind. And even beyond their physical appearance, these boys grew up to be quite different personalities, nearly opposites, in fact. We're told that Esau became a skillful hunter, 
a man of the open country. This is a, a rugged outdoorsman, this Esau. Jacob, on the other hand, we're told in verse 27, stayed at home among the tents. That, that's an old Hebrew idiom for a, a cultured and civilized person. See, a little bit different from his brother. And in fact, Esau was dad's favorite, partly because dad loved what he could cook up. Jacob was his mom's favorite, as we'll see next week. That favoritism gets the whole family into trouble. Regardless, this much these two boys shared in common. Both of them were deeply loved. We'll get to know these guys better over the coming weeks, but for starters, for this morning, there are three things that we can learn from this introductory passage. And so let me give you three G's. Three G's. First, grace. Second, gut. And third, grasping. Grace, gut, and grasping. Let's take a look. Number one, grace. I mean, imagine being pregnant. You're getting a sonogram, and the technician says to you, two nations are in your womb, right? I mean, what? Like, two peoples from within you will be separated. Uh, you're like, is it a boy or a girl, all right? But that's what Rebecca was told by the Lord. The story tells us during pregnancy, she felt the babies jostling each other within her. That word jostling actually can be translated crushing or bruising or oppressing. You see, God, this is what's going on inside of her. This is why she starts to pray. In fact, God, what is going on in here? God explains to her that this was just a preview, a parable even, of what was coming among her children. Each of the boys, God says, would become fathers of two nations, two peoples. Jacob's descendants would be known as Israel. Esau's descendants would be known as Edom. Edom is a word that means red, verse 30, we're told, and that was a nickname for Esau later on. And these two boys and their descendants, these nations, would be in perpetual conflict and struggle, bruising and crushing each other for many generations. But what's most striking is this last line in verse 23, when God says, and the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. This was a prophetic word that Jacob would be chosen by God, not Esau, chosen to receive God's blessing and favor, chosen to be God's instrument of blessing to the world. Jacob would be a recipient of God's personal grace. This teaches us two things. First, it shows us how God's favor comes by grace rather than by merit. God's favor comes by grace rather than merit. Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul takes a look at this very story, in fact, this very verse, and he sees in it God's promised blessing to Jacob. He says it was a promise that was given, grace that was given before he was born or had done anything good or bad. God said, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to bless you 
not because I'm sitting back and, and waiting for you to do good things and so I can say, merit, blessing. Or to make sure you're not screwing things up. I can, I, I can say, all right, his slate is clean. Let me bless. No, 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 no. God is saying, even before this dude was born, didn't do a single thing. I'm going to bless. I'm going to love. I'm going to show kindness. Why? Because it shows that the grounds of my blessing, the grounds of my grace is not what you do and how you perform. It's just me, my heart, my love, my will. It's almost like you sit down to, 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 to a job interview and the person knows nothing about you, doesn't have your resume or anything. And before you even sit down, they say, hey, you got the job, a promotion and a bonus. And you're like, what? Because it possibly could not be based upon what you've done. You haven't even started the job yet. Grace shows up in our life when God says, I'm going to love you even before the foundation of the world. I'm going to love you and set my heart upon you even before you do a single thing, good or bad. This is so foreign to us, the way that God loves. Because we live in an earn-your-favor world, don't we? Right? We live with the exhausting pressure to constantly prove your worth before God and with others. Most of all, before our own self-image in the mirror, where you feel this pressure to, to craft your own destiny, even your own identity. Like a restaurant on Yelp, you feel like you're only as good as your last review. We live in an earn your favor world, but God of the Bible is a give his favor God. The God of Jacob tells us that in Christ, I loved you before you did anything wrong, and I loved you before you did anything right. I loved you before you posted anything on Instagram too, by the way. I love you because I love you, and I love you in God's favor comes by grace rather than merit. The second thing we learn there is that God's favor towards Jacob also teaches us that God loves to choose the weak, not the strong. He chooses the weak, not the strong. And you say, well, where does it say that? Well, understand, culturally speaking, it was Esau, the oldest child, that should have found favor with God. And it should have been the younger that serves the older. But God loves to turn the world's expectations upside down. The weak should serve the strong, but God loves to surprise us. And so we see throughout the pages of Scripture again and again. It's the little, little shepherd boy, David. Not his older brothers that find favor in God's eyes. It's the little shepherd boy, David, not the tall and handsome Saul. It's Ruth, the poor Moabite refugee, not the strong women of Israel who get to serve as David's grandmother and, in fact, an ancestor of Jesus's. It's Mary. Mary, this, frankly, nobody young lady, right? in the ancient world, who was chosen to be the mother of God. 
and it's Jesus, the working class carpenter who lived and grew up in a throwaway corner of the mighty Roman Empire, who found favor in God's eyes, who became the savior of the world. Our assurance of pardon had part of this passage. Here's 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things, the despised things. He chose Jesus, and he chose you. God draws near to the weak. And this is the pattern that he set forth in his kingdom, and he does it, and he did it again and again and again. So that means don't you or me overlook the things and the people that this world considers weak, poor, and unfit. Don't overlook them. They are exactly the people, you, whom God says, that's one that I will set my love upon. And if that description fits you, poor or weak or unfit, don't you believe the lies either. We live our lives striving to be the Esau's, the firstborn, the first place. God chooses the second, the last, Jesus said even as he laid down his life and was crucified for the salvation of the world. Because God is a God of the weak. Because God is a God of grace. That's grace. Second point, gut. Gut. Here I'm referring to Esau's gut. Eh, not his girth, but his literal stomach, right? His appetite that figures prominently into the story beginning in verse 29. You heard the story. One day Esau comes home. He's tired. He's hungry. He's famished after a day of hunting. Uh, Jacob was already cooking up some kind of a meal, lentil stew, and so Esau grunts out, uh, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I'm about to die. And I say grunt because in the ancient Hebrew text, the words are kind of this funny jumble where he basically says, let me just gulp down some of that red stuff, that red stuff. Literally, that's what it says. He, he's just throwing his belly out there, as it were, and asking Jacob to fill it. Well, Jacob jumps on the opportunity. Sell me your birthright. And let me explain this just for a second so we understand what's going on. In the ancient world, a birthright refers to the rights and the privileges of the firstborn son. It meant headship of the family, that place of honor and that responsibility. It meant a double share of the inheritance. Did you know that? There's a little bit of something something involved in this as well. This was the birthright. This was actually something that could be transferred from one person to another, from one sibling to another. So the Bible is not just making this up. We have historical records of this. In fact, in the ancient Near East, we have records outside of the Bible where a man pays three sheep for a piece of his brother's inheritance. It was done back in those days. And this is what's taking place in this story. And remember also for Jacob and Esau, their inheritance wasn't just the possessions of their dad. It also included their responsibility and joy to be a blessing to the whole world. This 
birthright was partly being a participant in God's plan to save the world. And Esau doesn't care about any of it. What good is the birthright to me? He growls. The only thing in the universe that matters for him right now is right here. He's hungry. I mean, maybe some of us can sympathize a little bit like, hey, what's the problem with that? I get it, right? <laughs> Sell the whole world. I'm just hungry. Give me some food to eat. So he hands over his birthright to Jacob, swears an oath to make it official, and all of this for a bowl of stinking soup. I don't know about you, but this story always reminds me of a, yes, far less serious moment from my own childhood. I think I've told you about it before in, in years past. I might have been about seven or eight years old. And I owned this really cool, I still think it was cool, padlock with a little key that I found in our garage. I'd pop it open, lock it, lock it on things, pop it open, and all that. I mean, just the coolest thing that a kid could ever have. And then one day, I noticed that my sister had something I wanted. Grape flavor, liquor-made fun dip. Now, they don't sell this that much anymore. You gotta look around for this. Every now and then you come across it, but this is, this is a glorious candy. Okay, it's a pouch where you open it up, and inside the pouch is wonderful purple sugar. It's just sugar. That's all it is, right? It's purple sugar. It's sour, though, and it tastes mm, so good. So good. And then there's a stick that's sweet. So there's a stick that's sweet that's called a, a lick'em stick. All right? So, I mean, it's just explains itself. You lick it, and it's a stick. You stick the lick'em stick in the powder, and then you, you know, roll your tongue all over it. You suck on it and all that. And then every new time you dip in there, your now drooled upon lick'em stick is now going to pick up some more powder. And some of you are like hiding your faces in your hand out of embarrassment for me. You just haven't tried one. That's why. You got to go out and try one or order it on Amazon. You'll find one, right? This is good stuff. Okay, I saw this. My sister had, I don't know where she got it. Where did she get it? This is an unjust world. Where did she get this? She has this unopened, and I say, can I have some? Right? I want some. I ask her for it, and, I mean, she, she's a shrewd woman. She said, uh, yeah. If you give me your padlock and key, uh, she had seen it before. She knew it was good stuff. I think I might even let her play with it before as well. If you give me your padlock and key. And so, like Esau, I said, yes. I tore into the candy. Mm, you know, so good. It's all done. I mean, maybe 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds. Done real quick. Goes down real quick. Finished it satisfied and then I look up and I say can I can I get my padlock back can I get my lock back and my key and mind you she's two years older than me so she's done she's been around the block a little bit more than me uh, she said no you sold it to me for some lentil soup Esau uh, <laughs> no she said no and um, <laughs> she said it's mine and she just walked away I mean, I guess it was her right, but what a cruel woman. 
she walked away. And I am not kidding. I cried that day. I cried. I was like, give me my padlock back. That's mine. She's like, it's not yours. There's ancient records of a guy who sold his birthright for three heads of sheep. No. Listen, I was on the straight and narrow until that day, and everything just went sideways, right? Messed me up. Look, obviously, Jacob and Esau's situation was far more serious than mine, but I think each of us have a little bit of resonance with what was going on, right? Those moments where you just kind of give up something big for something so small, or where something that even is, is supposed to define you, something that you even profess to care about, something that that even digs right into the center of your identity where it's all of you, but then you're willing, like God, and you're willing to sell it out for the smallest of things. We're so willing to give up so much of God and his blessings for fleeting pleasures. Things that in the moment we're convinced like Esau that we'll die without. I'm going to die without this. And listen, the narrator does this incredible thing, again, not to keep pointing to the ancient text here, but in the Hebrew language, to convey how cheap and how quick and how fleeting Esau's appetite is. The wording of the the sentence here is, is so quick. He ate and drank and got up and left. I mean, he just gave up his inheritance to his brother for something that you can just Bang, bang, bang. Eat, drink, get up, and left, and it's gone. And we do this every day. Right? This is the nature of sin. We're making bad bargains every moment that we become attracted to things that give us false promises in exchange for the promise of God's unchanging love. Listen, Esau's fundamental problem wasn't just that he had an out-of-control appetite or just this bad tendency to get hangry, right? That wasn't Esau's thing. His was a spiritual problem. His spiritual problem was that he could only operate out of the here and now what I feel and what I must have. He was a man of the flesh, He couldn't see outside of himself. He couldn't see farther down the road, something bigger than me and beyond. He was ruled by his appetites. The only thing that matters is what's right in front of me in my senses, what's immediate. And friends, this is a description of you and me, isn't it? We we have the heart of Esau in our hearts and in our stomachs. It may not be a bowl of lentil soup, but what is it for you? What is it for you that you are telling yourself, I'll die if I don't have that, and you're willing to mortgage the entirety of your spiritual life for that thing? And the reason why Esau does that is because he can't even see spiritually, right? I mean, listen, this is an heir of Abraham, the father of faith. And he's like, give me some soup, and that's just it. How often we can only see our most immediate circumstances, our pains, our struggles, our wishes, our desires, short-term gratification, and a total inability to see God's long work, God's long promises, God's long view. Prince Harry, you know, has been in the spotlight 
recently a lot, and don't worry, I'm not going to comment on that. But of course, as you hear these stories about him, there's every continual reference to his relationship to the royal family because he's an heir of the throne in the UK. Now, Jacob and Esau weren't royalty, but don't forget, they are heirs of the royal promise of God the king who said, you are my princes, my sons, you are to be blessings to this world, and Esau just doesn't care. Throws it all away. Jesus himself, when he was tempted, famished in fact, tested by the devil in the wilderness in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Instead of giving in to that temptation, preached to the devil and said, man does not live by bread alone. You can't survive just on your senses of things. You need to live on, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's more to this life than just what I can feel and see and taste. There's more to this life than just this physical body. There's more to this life than just what appears to be. Feast on God's word. Help him to direct your attention to what is truly true and truly real, namely Christ himself. Grace, gut, and quickly grasping. Because Jacob, you know, is a grasper. It's what his name means. He was named after that early moment when he was born, we're told, grabbing onto his brother's heel and his, Jacob, his name Jacob basically sums up the entirety of his life, or at least his former life spiritually. He was always grasping, 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 trying to get ahead, ruled by his ambitions, and most of all, willing to trample upon anyone else that got in his way. Are you tempted to do that? Jacob was most keen on taking advantage of a person who happened to be his brother in his moment of weakness. I mean, what's nuts about this is Esau just comes in hungry. And Jacob's first thought is, you want to sell your birthright? I mean, he, that wasn't a new idea. No way that was. He'd been thinking about this. They, he just found the opportunity what opportunity have you been lusting after such that if it just came by, you would take it? Someone's weakness, taking advantage of someone. Yeah, Esau's responsible. We just described that. But Jacob, so quick, so eager, so willing to take advantage, to get ahead. What does that look like for us? It, it, it's a, it's a, a posture of heart. It's the way that Jacob constantly lived his life. It's what gets him into trouble with his brother as well as with his neighbors around him. Jesus shows us a different way. The greater Jacob. Jesus, who actually had the birthright as the firstborn, the son of God, 
And yet, instead of chasing after it, grabbing a hold of it, or even despising it, Jesus did not exploit his privilege to his own advantage. Nor did he grasp after it, taking advantage of our vulnerability, our short-sightedness, our sin, or our pain for his own gain. No, Jesus saw us, had compassion for us, and as the firstborn over all things said, let me serve you. Let me, the Savior, serve not just the younger, but the the sinner. Jesus is the greater Jacob who did not have ambition and exploitation churning around in his heart day after day. But he's the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather took the form of a servant, became a human being, made in human likeness, and even unto obedience unto death, he died for our sins and loved us, forgiving us, bringing us into the royal family of God so that we too might be blessed by his grace to be a blessing to the world. Do you know this greater Jacob, this Jesus? Have, have you had your heart challenged and even changed by him? Taking all that grasping energy, dying to it, letting go of it, and letting Jesus love you afresh and anew. It's helpful for us to see Jacob the grasper and to see ourselves in the mirror. Even more so is it important for us to see the graspless Jesus coming to give his life for you and me. Will you see him today? Will you consider this story and the life of Jacob this season? Let's pray. Christ, we ask that you would come and soften our hearts and help us to know your love afresh and anew. We're so grateful. We pray that you would persuade our hearts of your undying love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.